Welcome to the Trial Talks Podcast, a thought-provoking series surrounding clinical trial research. We'll be exploring current and future trends of the ever-changing clinical trial landscape as we discuss a variety of topics including virtual trials, patient centricity, novel and unique research, pandemic impact, and more. Join us and our expert guests on a journey through the evolution of clinical trials. Welcome to Trial Talks Season 2. This season is all about the heart of your trial, your patients. We'll be speaking with patient advocates, diversity experts, and hearing directly from some patients themselves in an effort to gain insight into how to improve the patient experience in clinical studies. I'm your host, Christina Hughes, Chief Operating Officer of Medrio, and today I am joined by Kafaya Babajide, Director of Patient Insights and Experience at Johnson & Johnson, to discuss patient centricity and removing barriers in the clinical trials process. Welcome, Kafaya. Thank you for joining us today. So my first question, can you walk us through how you got involved in the patient side of things and what your experience has been like? Yes, thank you for the warm welcome, Christina. So I just wanted to say that I have enjoyed this season of Trial Talks, and I love the focus on patient centricity. Um, Before I answer your question, I do just want to say that everything that I share today will be my personal opinion and not reflective of my company, Johnson & Johnson. But um, I got into patient side of things, honestly, by starting off with consumer. So for me, my career in healthcare started out Um, on the consumer health side of the business. And I basically worked for several years, about four years, working on um, consumer healthcare brands. And the consumer perspective was taught to us as something that needed to be integrated into the design, the development, deployment, and management of a product. And this included knowing who your target consumer is, behavior, psychographics, demographics, knowing that consumer's journey, lifestyle, and needs, being able to identify gaps and opportunities that exist, and knowing where you can invest, you can best engage with that consumer. And these fundamentals were the ones that would help us maintain healthy relationships with consumers and allow us to, through our brand, demonstrate that we had intimate knowledge of our consumers and allow them to feel seen. And feeling seen was honestly the single most important thing to developing a loyal consumer who would then be your best recommender and champion and be somebody who would come back time and time again to support your product or service. So after about four years of working on various consumer health brands from personal care to allergy to food and learning those fundamentals, I decided to apply these talents to to the digital space. I was very interested in digital and technology because of how it was changing the way that we do business and how it was democratizing access. And at Johnson & Johnson, our pharmaceutical sector is very invested in leveraging digital technology to advance treatment and drug development. So I was presented with an opportunity to apply my consumer learnings in pharma and developing software products meant to enhance patient engagement in clinical trials. And here I am. I love the notion of feeling seen. Um, I'm definitely going to remember that, um, but that, that, thank you for sharing that. And I, I guess, it, would you mind um, going into a bit more detail regarding your thoughts on patient centricity 
being very similar to consumer centricity and, and just detail any additional thoughts on how you took what you learned in consumer from your experience there and are applying it now in your current role? Sure. So I think at the end of the day, every business, whether it's B2B, D2C, B2C services, product has an end user and the best businesses put that end user first. Yes, it's called an end user, but that doesn't mean it's the last thought or an afterthought. Um, You hear a lot about companies like Amazon, uh, who who has Jeff Bezos, who basically infused a culture of customer obsession, being wildly successful because of it. And you wonder, okay, well, what does it mean to be customer obsessed? It's acknowledging that your consumer has a voice and then capturing and reflecting that voice in the design of your product experience. And I would say consumer centricity is no different from patient centricity because it is the same concept just a different branding of the end user. Patients in clinical trials have a journey. They may be suffering from a disease for years, or they may have identified their disease very early on. They may be muddling through various doctors, whether it's Dr. Google, PCPs, specialists. They may have to navigate support, new ways of interacting with family members as a result. All this can happen before a trial, during a trial, after a trial. They may not ever get to the point of a trial, but all of these things are happening in a patient's life. And it is important for us, as we are designing clinical trials, to understand these pieces. And it is incumbent upon us to figure out how we can help remove barriers so that the patient has as much of an informed, engaged, transparent experience in the clinical trial. So we want to observe and hear straight from the patient's mouths about the experiences that they're having, the journeys that they're on, so that as we're creating solutions, we are laser focused on addressing these needs and opportunities. And what we're doing is ultimately a service to patients. And we want it to be as applicable to a diverse swath of relevant patients as possible. So we do ourselves a disservice if we ignore or make excuses about why we can't cater to patients' needs and therefore make it increasingly difficult for for some patients to participate or stay in a trial. So an example that I can give you is the product that I'm working on launching for this year is meant to help streamline And it was actually developed based on patient insights. Some of them were IDIs where we did in-depth interviews with patients. Some of it was looking at metadata that already existed via Syscripts and other um, aggregators. And we basically said, hey, these are some major gaps that we need to address, one of which, for instance, is data return. Why is it that we are in the 21st century and patients, in a lot of cases, still aren't receiving their data back that they could be using for just regular healthcare management and also just for visibility to their journey in the trial. So that's a big thing that we're working on in the product that we're launching later this year. Um, And that's just one of the many ways that we are trying to be very patient-centric and focused in the development. And drilling in on clinical trials specifically and that process Where do you see the clinical trial process today as it relates to the patient's point of view? Well, Christina, I can tell you firsthand after just coming off of an advisory board meeting with patients and also doing some patient usability testing not too long ago, that there is, the good news is that there's quite a bit of optimism um, in what patients are viewing in the direction that they see a lot of sponsors going with clinical trials, but there's definitely still a sense of dissatisfaction and skepticism 
around where clinical trials currently are. So I'll, I'll put it this way. Patients see the gear turning, albeit very slowly. <laughs> um, so just to dimensionalize that a little bit more, the advisory board meeting that I sat in on was basically a moment for me to work with patients who got to test out a product that we're launching later this year. And lot of the, a lot of the feedback was glowing. It was wonderful. But the feedback that I tended to fixate on was the constructive feedback. I love constructive feedback. It gives us a view and a window into what we can improve on. And in a lot of the feedback and the reviews, patients were saying things that we know, but we need to do a better job of acting on, which is essentially they are the unsung heroes in trials. They are such invaluable partners and assets. There is no sound drug development without them. So why at this point hasn't more attention been paid and more been done to ensure their already emotional and physically complex lives are made simple by fitting trials into their lifestyle versus burdening them with steps, processes, logistics, travel, et cetera. And we shouldn't use regulatory legal privacy or cost as an excuse. Yes, we should be compliant, but we should find ways to partner with the right stakeholders to make these improvements possible and bring the trial to the patient. So I envision this as being something where virtual trials becomes more common. In-home testing, televisits, transportation assistance, um, all of these things I hope will become very rapidly a very staple part of the trial experience to make it a lot more convenient, simple, and ultimately a lot easier for the patients to participate and stay in a trial. It is pretty incredible when you think about being in the 21st century and how we still run clinical trials. And I really like what you said about we really need to, to sort of morph the process and meet patients where they are and make it easy for it to be a part of their life. So I, I like your comments there, Kafaya, because it's true. It's kind of hard to believe we're in the 21st century and there's still some pretty antiquated ways of operating. But I think with COVID particularly, have seen some progressive movement there. And I'm glad to hear that the patients who you're interacting with are encountering or feeling some optimism about that. Let's pivot to talk barriers. What barriers do you believe could or should be removed by implementing a patient-centric approach? I would say the single most important barrier that a patient-centric approach could help, if not remove, at least mitigate, is a psychological barrier, and it's trust. Trust is a huge component. Again, these patients are already in a very emotionally volatile and tough journey and experience. So to then entrust your health and your life with a sponsor who, in a lot of cases, historically, <laughs> we've been branded and uh, as the bad guys and maligned. And in some cases, it's understandable. But trust is a huge barrier that could be eliminated. And I think going back to the whole point about a patient feeling seen, when a patient can truly believe that they've been brought along throughout the journey for earnest input that then gets reflected into the design and the process, and then they can see themselves in the design and the process because they know that it's a lot more convenient. They know that it's a lot more, um, it takes into account a lot more of their own personal experience it sees them as a human 
and not as a subject, these are things that can help engender trust. These are things that ultimately will help drive better presence in the trial, better engagement, and ultimately compliance. But you can't get these things without first having that base level of trust. And patient centricity, I do believe, can be a huge, huge uh, tool to reduce the psychological barrier and engender trust. The second thing I would say is pretty, is pretty basic and kind of obvious, and, and it's the, the, the logistical barriers, excuse me. Um, so when we are more patient-centric and we can eliminate inconveniences for patients, it will help to increase things like attendance and compliance, as I mentioned previously. And then finally, I think something that's very important um, is representation, accuracy, and applicability. Right now, given how a lot of trials are set up, they're not as diverse as they could be, and therefore the treatment that we ultimately develop isn't as generalizable, or it, we don't know that it is as applicable or as effective in the global population because we don't necessarily have in our trial population um, a subset that is truly reflective proportional to that specific um, disease state. So I think that there's a lot of uh, room there for patient centricity to remove that barrier and for us to create treatments that are a lot more representative and effective uh, with the appropriate proportionality in certain patient populations. I really like your characterization and thinking about the barriers from a psychological standpoint and a physical standpoint in what you described. And you, you, led to my next question already um, regarding inclusion and diversity. Um, do you view patient centricity as a piece of the puzzle for increasing diversity in clinical trials? And if so, how? Oh, absolutely. Um, there is no true and effective way to diversify a patient population without being patient-centric. And I use the word proportional a lot, but it is so important that we think of things in that case and in that term and that we contextualize the process of development. So an example I would give is when you think about a disease like heart disease, yes, it impacts a lot of people, but it doesn't impact populations at the same rate. It disproportionately impacts African-Americans. So when we are doing trials to develop drugs for heart disease, we need to make sure that the patient population is proportionately reflective of those that are impacted by heart disease. So if I am looking at a trial landscape and I'm seeing that there is underrepresentation of African-Americans, then I'm concerned because they are a population that is disproportionately impacted. And I think having that patient focus would help us stay attuned to that. And I think patient focus goes beyond just making sure that the numbers match up. It's also about a understanding going back to that point of trust. How do we engender trust with these uh, subsets and these demographics so that we can have better recruitment tools and we can ensure that these patients that they're going to have a good experience that allows them to be seen and see themselves reflected in this clinical trial process. It's also important to understand medical bias and the disparities to begin with. Because if you don't understand that there's a disparity and disproportionality in the impact of a particular disease, you're not even gonna be thinking about how to appropriately diversify your patient population and recruitment tactics. 
So those things are important as well. And then ensuring that we're very in tune with the psychographics, the attitudes and the behaviors of these patients to again, make sure that those things are implemented into the design and being in some cases, very grassroots. I think about some of the work that was done for the vaccine development and how there is hesitancy in certain populations around taking the vaccine. You had organizations who said, hey, let's go into certain black churches and start to build more of a community and more of a relationship so that we can start to build trust with these communities so that they can get the right healthcare that they need to stave off any future um, damage of COVID. Um, and I think all of these things play a role and all of these things are reflective of trying to be patient-centric. So yes, patient-centricity plays a huge role in diversity. And those are some of the ways and some of the things that we can focus on to ensure we increase diversity in trials. And I, I really like the creative approach that you're taking as well, Kafaya, as you articulate how patient centricity is instrumental in changing it. But a lot of the examples you gave were very, in my mind, very creative. And I think that's critical as well as this creative thinking and thinking outside the box. So imagine you've got a magic wand and um, you can change the clinical trial process in any way that you would like. How would you change the process? Oh man, I, I would first start by ensuring anybody who is touching the clinical trial process is bringing the patient in at the very beginning and involving the patient at the very beginning. Um, and that could be informally, it could be formally through surveys, it could be formally through interviews, but in some way involve that patient and get those patient stories um, early on. And then the through that and capturing that voice, my hope is that we would then understand how we need to approach certain patient populations to, again, build that trust and build a better relationship to help and aid with recruiting, getting patients on board to actually participate in the trial. It would also involve destigmatizing trials because I know that a lot of people think of trials as something that are bad um, and not in their best interest or not something that's necessarily gonna benefit them. They also think of trials as a last mile or last resort or a last defense, not necessarily something that they may engage in even if their disease state isn't so severe. Um, so I would want to see that change in the clinical trial process as well. Um, I certainly would want it to get to a point where we are using all this wonderful technology to bring trials to the patient. Um, and the final thing is transparency, transparency, transparency. And this ties back to trust. There is no trust without radical honesty and transparency. I want to see more trials being transparent about the data that's being collected, whether it's personal level data, whether it's aggregate data, um, a lot more transparent about what to expect in a trial. Um, you know, be very realistic about the outcomes of a trial and in a way share stories from trial exposed patients so people can get more of a dimensional view into the variety of experiences that people are having. Those are some of the ways that I see the clinical trial process evolving. And I, I think all of it would lead to a benefit 
for all stakeholders, but it, it, namely the patient. So Kafaya, I'd like to get a little bit personal now, if you don't mind. And as we're starting to see the world um, return to maybe what we're calling the new normal, not normal, um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, Um, so many things. But I think the single most important thing for me is approaching life, especially my social life, with a renewed sense of purpose and values. I think one of the benefits of the pandemic was recognizing that being still is actually very healing. I think I'm so used to, and I know there's a lot of people that can relate to this. I'm so used to having to move all the time and being active and having an extensive to-do list and wearing busy as a badge of honor and not having to, not being able to go out um, really allowed me and afforded me a lot more time to just kind of sit still and be more reflective and introspective. I picked up on quite a few things that I felt like are ultimately going to be very edifying for my life. I was able to recalibrate my values, make sure that I'm actually living into my values. And so when I go back into the world and become more social, I am going to do it with a lot more intentionality. And I'm really looking forward to that because I think it's going to be a more rewarding experience for me. That's awesome, Kafaya. And I, I hear you. I've got three kids. And so we are scheduled like crazy. And it was actually really nice to be forced to slow down and have some quiet time and do a lot of introspection. And, but of course, now we've gone right back into it. And I don't think I I should take your advice and be a little more methodical about it because we're just right back into the craziness. And I really do need to take some of that time that I had over the last year where I was quiet and not just jump right back into the, the madness of having a crazy schedule. Thank you so much for sharing that. Really appreciate those, those final thoughts from you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today and just your, your really thoughtful, insightful um, answers to our questions. Thank you for spending some time with us. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Christina. It was a pleasure to participate. And again, like I said, I, I'm a huge fan of this season of Trial Talks and I'm excited to hear some of the rest, some of the other interviews that you guys have. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Trial Talks. To delve deeper into the insights and information you heard today, visit us at trialtalks.com. 